speak hope to the hopes, freedom to captives, in the name of the Father and Son, we speak healing to heartbreak, peace to the restless, your salvation has come, arise and shine, come out of the dark. Walk out of your chains Arise and shine Come and give him worship Glorify his name We speak love to the dead Death to our bondage In the name of the Father and Son We speak power in weakness This is our witness That our Savior is one Arise and shine Come out of the darkness Walk out of your Coming awake, coming awake. This is the sound of a people shouting your praise, shouting your praise. This is the sound of a people coming awake, coming awake. This is the sound. This is the sound, Lord. This is the sound. 
Hey, good day, everybody. It's such a privilege to be with you again. And thank you for joining us in our series about saying yes. Uh, what does it mean to say yes to Jesus and what impact that, does that have on our lives? Today, we're going to be talking about saying yes to abundance. That if we say yes to Jesus, we are saying yes to abundance. Abundance, what a great word, isn't it? I mean, that concept, that idea is just so fantastic. Um, how wonderful it is to think of a time where you have an abundance of time, where you've just got more time than what you need, or more energy than what you need, or perhaps even more money than what you need. When last have you felt like that, where you know you just had abundance in whatever area or way that you needed it? There was no stress, there was no pressure, because you just had an abundance. It is such a wonderful thing to even think about. Um, and, you know, this is the great thing that Jesus said he came to give us life and so that we can have it abundantly. That is a quote from John 10.10. 10. Let me read the whole scripture for you. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. What, is, what a great thought that Jesus came to give us an abundant life. What does that mean? Does that mean because you're a follower of Jesus and you've said yes to Jesus that suddenly you have more time, like perhaps a you know, 25 or 26 or 27 hour day and more days in the year? Does it mean that we have an abundance of energy and we'll never run out and become tired? Does it mean we have more money than we could ever need or want? What does it mean when Jesus says that he has come to give us abundance? Well, I think in part to understand what he's saying there, it's useful to understand that he's probably talking about a mindset, a way of looking at life, a, a way of living life. And he contrasts the two possible ways that we could live our lives in this scripture. The first one he says is the first possibility is that we can live our lives under the influence of the thief. And that is a life that is marked by a, a, a pattern of thinking that says there's not enough, there's scarcity. There's not enough to go around. And therefore, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the kind of behavior that of somebody that believes there's not enough that is in competition with everyone or everything else. Or we could have the mindset of being influenced by Jesus, which is a mindset of abundance, that there's more than enough. A belief in the God that made everything and that he made everything in abundance that can we have that mindset and that way of thinking? Uh, the secular writer Stephen Covey, the famous writer in his, in his such a famous book, 
Seven Habits of Highly Effective People even picked up on this. And in that, he talks about the main, abundance mentality. And he says that you can live your life with an abundance mentality or what he would refer to as a scarcity mentality. And, and I read a quote from him. He says the following, most people are deeply scripted in what I call the scarcity mentality. They see life as having only so much, as, they, as though there were only one pie out there. And if someone were to get a big piece of that pie, it means less for everybody else. The scarcity mentality is the zero sum paradigm of life. So even he picked up on that, that you could Live life with one of these two mindsets. A scarcity mentality, there's not enough. I'm in competition with everybody else. If I have, that means somebody else can't have. Or if they have, that means I can't have. That's the zero-sum mentality. Or there's an abundance mentality, uh, which uh, is often spoken about as the win-win mentality. We can live a life where there is enough for everybody to go around. And that we can live a life with that kind of view that there's more than enough. Now, I understand why we so easily can get into a scarcity mentality. I mean, as human beings, we are so finite. We are so limited in our understanding. Our view is so short. We often forget the bigger picture. We can't see the bigger picture. We can't see beyond what we experience and what affects us so really. And therefore, we so often feel like, there's scarcity. And we do experience it very regularly, very often. We experience, and in very big ways, we experience scarcity all around us. Right now, you can pick up a newspaper or look at a news blog and watch the news, and there will be so much that is being spoken about scarcity right now. The world really operates predominantly on a scarcity mentality. So it's all around us. And therefore, I can understand that we can so easily fall into this mentality. It's like there's a story in the scripture in Genesis 26 of Isaac, the son of Abraham. And uh, in, in, I want to read for you just the four verses of that story. Just listen to this. Now there was a man, oh, sorry, now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and I will bless you. So for to, for to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. So here's Isaac, son of Abraham, son of the promise uh, of God. And uh, he's experiencing scarcity in the form of a famine. And you remember in those days, famine was a very real threat. They didn't have you know, credit cards and investment accounts that they could dip into when it came to the lean times. Um, you know, when the food ran out, you were in trouble. And so he was in a time of scarcity. And he started making plans to think, now, how is he going to deal with the scarcity? And his first plan was to go to the king of the Philistines, Amibelech, and ask him for help. And see if he can help him so that he can not go under during the time of scarcity. And then he also had a thought in his mind that he wanted to go to Egypt and live in Egypt because there was provision and supplies there and there was enough there. But then God appears to him and, and says, listen, 
you, you are beginning to think with a scarcity mentality. You're forgetting something very important. And what he was forgetting was the bigger picture of what God's purposes were and what God was doing in his life. And he was forgetting the abundance of the God that he was serving. And therefore, God says to him, stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and bless you. God says, you, you cannot solve this problem by thinking with a scarcity mentality. I mean, at other times God did send people to Egypt and allow people to go to Egypt. But in this point, God was saying to, to Isaac, man, you, you, you're looking at life and you're allowing the scarcity that you're experiencing to determine your actions. And you're forgetting that I am the God of abundance. And then he says to him, for to you and your descendants, I will give these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. He says to him, you're forgetting the promise that I've made out of my abundance towards you. And you're beginning to respond because you think there's, there's no hope. But you have a hope because of the promises that I, I've made to you. And then he says to him, he reminds him of the oath that he swore to his father. And this is what God said to his father. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And so I think God does a fantastic thing with him. He, he redirects his gaze. He, he draws him, his gaze, his vision, his perspective away from the scarcity that he's seeing in his reality by looking just on the plane of the earth and he, and he reminds him, he draws him back to the stars and he says, look up at the stars. And if you look up at the stars, you can't help but to remember how big God is and the abundance of God, the, the vastness of God. And God says this vastness isn't just out there for you to look at. It's a reminder of the promise I made to your father Abraham, that you will become more like these stars. There's, there's something of the abundance that God says that, 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 that you will experience, that, that will not only be seen in the heavens, but will be your experience. But remember that I am the God of abundance. I don't know if you've experienced this, but it is such a good thing every now and then to just look up at the stars and to feel the, the magnitude, the magnificence of God. Where we go on holiday often down in the Eastern Cape, uh, it's an area that is out in, the, uh, in a nature reserve, so there's not a lot of light around. And if it's a, a cloudless, moonless night, uh, and you look up at the stars, you are just like, you're, you're, you know, words can't describe what you see. It's just stars upon stars upon stars and upon stars and then if you take any form of magnification a good binocular and you look at the the stars you begin to realize that what you think is a star with the naked eye is actually a whole cluster of other stars and you can't help but just say wow man what look at this abundance and it so contrasts when you feel impinged and 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 limited and sort of hemmed in by the scarcity around us that we so often see on this planet that you go, man, there's a lot out there. Have you ever thought about, and I'm sure you have, and you've probably seen some analogies that, or, or ways that people try and explain the vastness of the universe. And, and everybody that does that recognizes that at some point it becomes, it just becomes too much for us. We cannot comprehend the vastness of the universe. There's, there's so much that we don't even can see and observe. Right now, scientists are talking about the observable universe being 90 
2 billion light years across. 92 billion light years. And they calculate that based on the age of the earth that they, they see and how far, uh, how much light could have reached us by this time. 92 billion light years. That number is just too big to even begin to fathom. So I found a, a description that somebody gave to try and give us some reference as to the size and the abundance of the universe we live in. And they, they use this description. They said, imagine yourself driving in a car at 120 kilometers per hour. Now, most of us, we've done that. We drive on the highways, 120 kilometers an hour. We know what that feels like and what, what that looks like. We also know how far we can go in a day by driving 120 kilometers an hour. We have some reference for that. So let's apply that to this, which is so big. Uh, imagine yourself driving 120 kilometers per hour for a for 24 hours every day. So every day, non-stop driving, 24 hours a day, 120 kilometers an hour. How long will it take you to cover some of the distances that we're talking about in the universe, in the vastness out there? Let's, let's, let's start small or short, short distances, relatively. If you had to drive 124, uh, 120 kilometers for 24 hours a day, it'll take you 134 days to drive to the moon. Okay, so you can do that 134 days. Okay, even with a few stops, you can do that in less than a half a year, 134 days. If you wanted to drive to the sun, now it starts becoming a bit more challenging, driving at 120 kilometers an hour for 24 hours a day, it'll take you 143 years to get to the sun. So you can't even do that in one lifetime. It'll take a couple of lifetimes to drive that far. Now, if you want to go across our solar system, the, the width of our solar system, you know, our sun with our, its planets that revolve around it. If you want to drive across the width of the solar system at 120 kilometers an hour for 24 hours a day, it'll take you 43,000 years to do that. So, wow, that's now getting quite a tall order. But if you want to go even further, you want to go outside of our solar system and drive across our galaxy, which we call the Milky Way. If you want to go across our galaxy at 120 kilometers an hour for 24 hours a day, it'll take you 1.6 trillion years. Not million, not billion, trillion years. But wait, <laughs> that's even short compared to if you want to drive to the nearest other spiral galaxy. So not the Milky Way. You want to go beyond our Milky Way to the nearest other spiral galaxy, the Andromeda galaxy. That'll take you 22.5 trillion years to drive that far. So let's say you want to even go further. You want to go across the local Virgo supercluster. You want to drive across the supercluster that our these known galaxies around us is, is part of, then you're gonna, it's going to take you one quadrillion years. Now, I don't know if you know what a quadrillion is. A quadrillion is one with 15 zeros behind it. One with 15, one that is 10 to the power of 15 zeros behind it. Now, imagine how many zeros those are. That We can't even... We can't even talk about that. That's like, you know, listen carefully and try and say that number is impossible. It's even becoming impossible for us to think about that number. That's how big our local supercluster is. So 
Let's take it to its end. If you want to drive across the observable universe, this 92 billion light years that we can see right now, the light of which can we can see. If you want to go across the observable universe, it'll take you 840 quadrillion years. I think by now, like me, the numbers are losing any sense because they're so big. They're so abundant. That is just the beginning of a description of the abundance of our God. Psalm 8. It captures it for us in the following words. Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Remember the word glory is it's the reflection that tells us something about who God is, that reveals him to us. So when I look up at the stars, I see the glory of God, his vastness, his greatness, his majesty, his beauty, his artistry, his craftsmanship, I see. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moons and the stars, which you have set in place. David says, when I look up at the stars, and I consider just the craftsmanship of your fingers, of your hands, that which you built, that's what you crafted together. Somebody that works with their fingers and with their hands is, a, is an artist and a craftsman that builds something, the detail. He says, God, you can almost have that picture of God sitting down and crafting this universe that goes on beyond what we can observe, that is bigger than what we could even begin to imagine and think. He says, this is the God of the universe. And that's what God did with Isaac. He said, listen, Isaac, I know there's not enough food around for you, but please don't fall into a scarcity mindset thinking that that is the sum total of your reality. Look up at the stars and remember the God that made, that crafted the vastness of this abundance of, of light and of stars and of the galaxies and of, the, of, of just this universe and everything that you can't even begin to fathom. That God made a promise to your father and said that you will know that level of abundance in your own life. You will know, you will have a connection to that level of abundance. That abundance is not just out there for you to marvel at. That abundance is what you will live and experience. That can be your mindset, your way of looking at life. So when I look up at the stars and I marvel at the vastness of it, we know that there's a God behind that and that that God, is mindful of us. That's why David asked the question in verse 4. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Because I think it's so possible that I can look at the vastness of the stars and the magnificence of it all and feel so small and feel so insignificant and that that can actually become something that makes me depressed because I look at it and I go, my life has no meaning if it just disappears in the vastness of all of this. And that's why David says, what is mankind? What are we? We are just little specks. We, we don't even register in the vastness of all of this. But then he says this as he carries on in verse 5. You have made them 
So first thing we must remember is that God made us. Out of this abundance, that same God that made that vastness made you and me. And he made us with a position of honor. He made us a little lower than the angels, the scripture says. Some translations say a little lower than God, a little lower than heavenly beings. That's a position of honor, Whatever, however you want to look at that. What he's communicating to us is to say, you have magnificence, you have significance, you have meaning, you have purpose, you belong. You were made by this abundant God and he carefully made you and he gave you a position of honor. Then he continues and he says, and crowned them with glory and honor. The same word that is used about the magnificence of God, he uses to describe mankind. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. Can you see the view that this, the writer of the psalm and the writers of scripture by and large endows to us as mankind? He says, we were made special, important, valuable, worthy of attention. That's how God sees us. We don't just look at the vastness of the stars and feel empty because of the greatness of it. And little we feel how important we are because the God that made that abundance also made us. You see, if you don't see a God behind all of that, I can understand that this can be very crushing. You can feel very lonely, very lost very quickly if you start considering the vastness of the universe, the expanse, the eternity of it all. And that's what a, a famous uh, academic atheist academic concluded a guy by the name of Bertrand Russell. I'm going to read you a quote from him and you have to listen carefully. It's quite a lengthy quote and just listen to this. This is what his conclusion was when he looked at all the stars. He didn't get an abundance mentality. He actually developed a scarcity mentality because he had no God behind this. This is what he said. That man is the product of causes which had no prevision of the end they were achieving. That this origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. That no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. And that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All these things, if not quite beyond dispute, are yet so nearly certain that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. You see, when we look at the vastness of the universe... And we think that this is just something that happened accidentally. There's no prevision. There was no plan to this. this when it started happening, it didn't know where it was going to end. It might as well not have been. It just happens to be. When we think of that, when we look at the vastness of the universe and the bigness of it, and we realize at some point it began, we don't know when, we don't know how, we don't know why, it just is. And at some point, it's all going to come to an end. It's all going to fizzle out. It's all going to flame out. It's all going to be destroyed. 
then we then we feel well we as mankind are is just on this roller this universal roller coaster along for the ride and at some point this that has no purpose and meaning is going to come crashing down on us that has no purpose and meaning and that'll be the end of our lives and the moment we can come to terms with that unyielding despair that's where we can actually just live our lives free from any thoughts of purpose and meaning and just do whatever it is we feel like we want to do and make the most of our short little space of existence which may not even be real by the way it may just be our imagination but let's just live our lives in this unyielding despair that's the natural conclusion Bertrand Russell isn't wrong in his conclusion he's wrong in his premise his premise is there is no God there is no sense to this that's where you and I are different. We believe in a very personal God that made us to live in his abundance, in his overflow, in his more than enough. And when I look up at the stars, I'm reminded of how big he is. So when I look up at the stars and I contrast that, his abundance, with whatever scarcity I'm experiencing, I can go, Thank you, Lord. I don't have to develop a scarcity mentality. I can deal with the scarcity. It's real. But thank you that I have you, your resources, your love, and your grace. And that's why Jesus could remind us in Matthew 6, verse 25 to 27. He said the following. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. If you think like Bertrand Russell, all you can do is accept the worry. Come to terms with the worry the peace, the anxiety, the stress of life. Trying to just make the most of the little that you have because there's not enough. It's going to come crashing down upon you. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink about your body and what you will wear. Is life not more important than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. God has made provision for them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? This is the great question Jesus asked his listeners and asks us today. Are you not so much more valuable than they? If God can, out of his abundance, provide for birds which he made and which is valuable to him and is important. And we see how he provides for them. How much more will he provide for us out of his abundance? Because we are the crown of his creation. He crowned us with his glory, with his, as a reflection of his majesty. He crowned us as the rulers to, to rule over the things that he made. How much more valuable are we? That's you. That's you that that scripture is talking about. What does it help us to worry? What does it help us to live in an, a, a mentality of scarcity when we've got so much? So I want to wrap this up and say to you, like Isaac, you may be experiencing some very real scarcity right now. We're living in a time of Many people struggling from lots of scarcity. It's real. We cannot ignore it. We cannot make as if it's not there. We, we can't just put a plaster on it. We can't just say to people, you know, it's all going to be okay. Because the scarcity is real. 
people are really suffering. We have really abused our planet and therefore there are many places where people are suffering. But even every one of us, in, in every day we encounter scarcity, financial scarcity, emotional scarcity, scarcity of thinking, scarcity of vision, scarcity of leadership, scarcity of, of passion, so many different kinds. Of, we experience it all the time. But I want to say to you, that scarcity is real. But it is not the place from which you live your life. You are not connected into that scarcity as the source of your life. The source of your life and your being is in Jesus. So that's why I want to say to you, say yes to Jesus. Because then you say yes to his abundance. Then you have an option to not live from the scarcity and the mentality of scarcity, but to live from a mentality of His abundance. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's what Jesus said. Say yes to Jesus. Say yes to Him changing your viewpoint, your mindset. For Him connecting you to His eternal power, to His creative force, to His creative purpose and meaning that He put into everything. Say yes to knowing that there is a God that loves you, that stands behind everything that has been created, the abundance, the vastness of it. Do not be crushed by it, but be encouraged by it, be strengthened by it, be given hope by it, that when you look at your scarcity and the limitations that you experience, you can say, Lord, I thank you that I can draw on your abundance. Not just for myself, but that I can become a conduit of the abundance into the scarcity of this world. So that in our nation right now where there's such a sense of scarcity and the thief is going around stealing, killing, destroying because people are motivated by scarcity, not giving each other time and space, fighting, competing with one another. That you don't have to buy into that, but you can say, Lord, let your kingdom come. On earth as it is in heaven. Use me on my front line to be a person that brings across your abundant viewpoint. And connect people to your abundance. And work from that place of abundance to creating a win-win for society and people around me. My family, my own life, my business, my social environment, my my. Uh, recreational environment everywhere. I can live the life a mentality of abundance because God is the God of abundance. So I trust with you today that God will give you that different perspective by the power of the Spirit so that as you are engaging in life around you, you are not captured by scarcity but motivated by the hope in the abundance of God. Thank you for being with me today. May the Lord bless you richly. Can I pray with you and then uh, bless you as you go forth into that, the places where God is sending you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to live trapped by the scarcity mentality, but that we can begin to see your abundance. Thank you for the stars that serves as a reminder of your vastness, your greatness, your abundance, of you flinging abroad and afar your creative abilities. And I pray that each of us will begin to live from that place and speak forth and live forth and 
work and labor from that abundance so that we will see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I pray for any person right now that feel crushed by scarcity. And I pray, Lord, that faith will arise in them, that they will begin to see your promises and live from your promises and trust you for the more than we could even ask or think, for the unimaginable good that you have prepared for us. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you. If you want to connect with us, please do so. Go to our social media pages, uh, Hatfield, and just search us. And it would be so great to connect with you in any way that we can. May the Lord bless you.